and welcome to Vision Scope, a program designed to educate and inform on matters relating to disabilities. My name is Wilbert Williams. Listeners, we have a very special guest in the studio today. He is Joseph McGowan. Joseph is from New York. He is a minister of religion. And we're going to chat about anything and everything concerning his experiences. Joseph, welcome to Tell It Like It Is. Thank you much. Thank you much. Appreciation, brothers. Amen. I feel welcome already. Yes, Joseph. It's it, it's nice to have you. We 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 always enjoy chatting with people who uh, are challenged because we feel that there are so many others out there who can learn from our experiences and who you know can put their lives together and make a success of it. And it's never too late. Um, and so we decided that. We, we would add you to the list of people that we want to interview. Uh, Amen. Let's start at the beginning. I always have a little a little thing that I joke around with my guests. Um, would you like to describe your features for, for the ladies in the audience? I know you're a minister of religion and uh, all of that, but you have features. My features, amen. For the ladies, my features are married, amen. <laughs> let that's, me, that's the first let stop. Me, <laughs> let me state that first, you know, I don't want to get in no trouble, you know. <laughs> I'm definitely married, glory be to God. Uh, but outside of that, amen, I'm six foot tall. Um, I'm a stocky guy, little, little, got a little push, you know, that COVID weight is still kicking on me a little bit and everything. Um, I have a slightly full beard. I'm bald-headed, amen. Uh, people say that I'm handsome. I mean, you know, mm. it's up to you for what you decide and everything. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, I'm, I'm a fairly decent-looking guy. I'm, uh, I call myself slightly over golden brown. You know, I'm not quite dark, amen, but mm. I'm not quite light. I'm kind of in the middle there, you mm. know what I'm saying? And uh, because of life, I, you know, live little cavalier and stuff like that. I've got tattoos and things like that. You know, some people might look at me and assume that I'm a thug, but I'm really not. I'm a teddy bear to those who I can be a teddy bear to. And, of course, if I need to be a grizzly bear, then I could be that too. But otherwise, hey, man, that's about the best I can say concerning my features. Brown-eyed, handsome guy. Well, you know, you've done a good job, a very good job of, of doing it. Um, there are a lot of people who hesitate when you ask them that, but I noticed you were into it full flight. Now, tell us a little bit about your blindness. Were you born blind? No, no, I wasn't. Born. I was actually born sighted. I lost my sight when I was about 38 uh, due to uh, diabetic retinopathy. I've been a diabetic since I was 19. And so it finally just kind of caught up with me. Um, mm. Uveitis. I had uveitis for a bit and things like that. And finally, um, I ended up having uh, retinal detachments in both my eyes. I went blind at 38. So what what do you do in what did you do in, in, in early life? What what was your vocation? <laughs> Believe it or not, um, I did a few things. Um, I mainly worked in sales, you know, sales, customer service, things like that. Um, I started off like a lot of people might have started off, especially here in America, you know, McDonald's, the first time working fast food. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I worked in, you know, all areas of McDonald's. I was even um, being trained as a shift manager at one point in time before things kind of shifted. Um, I sold vacuum cleaners. I sold um, paraffin wax candles. Um, I sold cars. I, you know, pretty much I've sold everything except for drugs. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's kind of my, my bread you and butter. Had, you like had a rounded experience. Definitely, definitely. I'd say so. I've been working some, um, you know, at some food processing plants for a while. And then uh, in my latter years, um, I got into working with people with developmental disabilities um, in, in various forms and things like that. I love that type of work. But yeah, that's what I've done. Let us, let us look now at the period when you started losing your sight. What was, what was life like when the reality hit you that your sight was going. Oh, it was it was rather discouraging. It was it was, it was quite a fearful time for me because, um, considering the fact I'm 38, I just uh, went through a situation where um, I, I believe bigotry had its place in a, in a dealership that I was working at at the time. And I just lost my job and was trying to find another one. And the next thing you know, I'm riding around and I'm noticing that I can't tell the difference between the colors of the streetlights. Mm. And so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to hopefully make it home without having an accident and things like that. I get home and then it starts this, it, this seemingly quick downward spiral where one minute I can see fine. The next minute I can't tell the difference between the streetlights. Next thing you know, I'm looking at the TV through my peripheral because I have no frontal vision. And then finally, I just have no vision at all. Um, and I didn't have insurance or anything else like that. So I couldn't really go to a doctor to find out what's going on. And finally, somebody tells me, hey, go to the emergency room. They can check your eyes out. And by that time, it was already too late. So it was difficult. I was training to be a minister at the time um, and things of that nature. And so, you know, I went from a place where I could be able to grab my Bible and read it all how I want to, to not knowing how I was going to read my Bible, not knowing how I was going to minister God's word. And so I was in a place where I felt like maybe um, maybe that was it for me. Like maybe my ministry career and everything else was done. But I thank God that he had a different plan. How did you react initially when you found out that you were going blind? Because it's quite traumatic and different mm-hmm. people react in different ways. What were your initial reactions like? You know, if I can be honest, I was scared. I was deathly afraid of what was going on because the fact that, you know, I lived my entire life having sight. Um, the, the very things that I was trying to do to get my life right with God seemed like they were falling fast away from me because the fact that now I, don't, I can't see. I used to turn out sermons, two, three sermons a week, four or five page sermons uh, because I had a zeal. And now I can't even see the paper. Now I can't even read my Bible. It was devastating. I remember sitting at the bottom of my uh, shower at the time. The house I was living in had a little little four by nine shower with the glass door, you know, and I remember sitting down at the bottom of the shower with the shower on crying because I didn't know how I was going to be able to do the work of God. I didn't know how I was going to, if I would ever be able to see my children's faces again, um, all of those things like that. So it was quite emotional. It was terrifying. It really, really was. And um, I was truly in a pit of despair. I mean, that's just me full frank. I was in a very much a pit of despair. Let's, I didn't know what I was going to do. Let's dissect it a little bit. And I hope you won't mind. Did you become depressed? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I was depressed. I was I was fearful. Um, I was hard on myself because, you know, I 
in my in my former time, like I said, I've been a diabetic since I was 19. And so I know that part of uh, what played into my vision loss was the fact that I, you know, had times in my life where I really didn't care for myself the way that I should. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was I was an alcoholic, you know, um, much of my adult life. Um, I tampered around with some drugs in my day at a, at a, at a small period of time in my life. And so all of those things, all of my past, uh, you know, indiscretions, all of my past issues kind of went swirling yeah, around in my head. Before you. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I had to really take a look at myself and it wasn't a pretty look. And you felt you felt guilty. I did. I did. Because mm-hmm. I, if I had taken better care of myself, perhaps I wouldn't be in this situation. I'm, I'm sure that's a, a common testimony for many people who oh, yeah. may have, you know, gone down the road I went through. You know, you. You, you do the best. You do think you're doing the best as you can, but you know you're really not. And so when something comes down, when there's a consequence, then you begin to look at yourself like, "Oh, you fool, you idiot, you you did this thing wrong." And if you'd only listen, then maybe perhaps this wouldn't be going on. Did you have family with you at the time, or were you on your own? I, I had family uh, with me. It was a it was an interesting dynamic. Um, I had moved to. Um, Fayetteville, North Carolina in um, 2012 uh, because my mother and my father had passed away in 2011 and 2012, almost a year to the date apart. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was at, at that particular point in time, I was staying in a house with my sister and a brother-in-law who I really didn't have a whole lot of opportunity to get to know um, at that particular point in time. And then um, one of my um Uh, one of my children's mothers was was staying down there as well because she had come down with my uh, with my family uh, and my son was there. So I had her and I had my son there at the time as well. And we were kind of all cohabitating together. So, so how did they react when they they found out that you were blind and you, you know, you, of course, you wouldn't have an income and all of these things? What? What, how did they react? You know, I, I got to say that that um, I think they reacted remarkably well initially, considering the facts. Um, they didn't really; it didn't really seem like they really concentrated on the fact that I wasn't going to have an income and all of those things like that. I think they were really just trying to help me deal with the emotional um, piece to you know going blind and things like that, and just really trying to rally to help me to try to find some solutions as to whether there was a chance I'd ever get any of my vision back or, you know, like trying to help me to adjust to being blind. Um, I remember I had a particularly difficult time where, um, literally it seemed like I was kind of losing my mind a little bit over, you know, being fully blind and things like that. And I remember I was in this really emotional state and my older sister, um, would read to me, um, so that I can focus on something else other than being blind um, and, and things like that and the emotionality of it all. Um, and so she would read to me and I would find this measure of peace in this time where, you know, she was reading to me and I could focus on something else other than the fact that I was sitting in the dark. Yeah. Um, you know, we had some other things going on. You know, I, I, I love cooking. Mm-hmm. And initially, I didn't know how I was going to be able to cook or anything else like that because I've never been blind before. So, you know, they're having to prepare meals for me and things like that. First time experience. Absolutely. Yes. So, 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 what, what about your friends? Because uh, it, very often, friends. You know, I was just about to ask the same question. Mm-hmm. Go on, Willie. Yes. What about your friends? 
um, at the time when when I was going through all of this, um, I was really separated from a lot of my friends. I had my church family at the time, um, and it was kind of like a just oh, you know, uh, kind of almost like a pity situation, you know. And they and they really didn't know exactly how to interact with me. From that they point wanted, where to, I'd they gone wanted wrong. to help, but didn't know how to help. One is, it wasn't so much a wanting to help and not knowing how to help, but just the interaction in general to have mm -hmm. somebody blind within their midst who used to be able to see and don't know what to say mm -hmm. or how to say it so that they don't offend. Um, mm -hmm. Trying to, to make it seem as though uh, perhaps, you know, that they recognize me to be the same old person, even though I had this drastic change and not knowing how to interact with me without going too far. Um, I remember there was a time where I was really bitter and really upset because uh, they would be really playful with me um, concerning things that, that didn't seem very fun to me. You know, I'm sitting there blind and they would like mm. rub their fingers together, making noises and then run and act like nobody was there or, or you know, not tell me who it was. Or um, I had this really and asking you to identify voices. Right. That yes, was. yes, that's a common one. Yes, I remember this one time I was at a church banquet. We were at a church banquet and I was sitting at the table and one of the young ladies that went to my church at the time, um, she was sitting at the table and she disguised her voice and began to have a conversation with me as if she was from another church. And uh -huh. so I'm sitting over there having a conversation, trying to interact, already feeling awkward because I'm a one blind person in a sea of sighted people and yeah. things like that. And then finally she begins to laugh hilariously and yes. tell me exactly who she was and she thought it was the funniest thing in the world that she could disguise her voice and i didn't know who she was but it was very disheartening for me i wanted to leave at I, that particular I bet point you, i bet you inside you were as angry as ever at, definitely yes and that kind of approach and she meant well yes. she meant well yeah, she was a young girl. She was in her very early 20s and stuff like yeah. that. So she still had a bit of a girl in her, you know, yeah, at that particular yeah. point in time. Like she just thought she was just doing something funny and cute. And it really wasn't to me, you know. So, yeah. Now, Joseph, how long did that period of depression go for? Can you can you recall? You know, um, the, the deepest part of my depression um, at that particular point in time in my life um, lasted for... I want to say about a few months. There's still residual things that I've had to deal with over oh, the yes. course of time. It was a, it's it's a instant, gradual thing. It's not an instant change. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but the, the most significant um, change happened, you know, within a few months or so. It kind of had to happen. Uh, because I was still in this particular point in time in my life, I was still training to be a minister. So I still had responsibilities. I still had trainings to adhere to. And so I had something I needed to focus on aside from me being blind. And ministry was that very thing. Talk to me about how the church responded during that period. Because that's an interesting period. You know. How did the church respond to all of this? You know, a, a lot of times, you know, within a within a church body, you have a lot of pity, of course. Hey, you know, it's so tragic that you, you lost your sight. You know, we feel so bad for you. Um, of course, as always, you have those who are going to begin to, uh, quote unquote, prophesy from the rooftops that, oh, the Lord's going to give you your sight back. You don't have to worry about that. Just wait. Just hold on and be patient. God's going to bring you out. He's going to bring you through. He's going to restore your sight. And I truly believe that's the case. But I think a lot of people say that out of rest more than they do um, oh, yes. out of a, a spiritual revelation or insight. Mm -hmm. And so I had a lot of that going on 
which was difficult. You know, people know what to say to sound righteous and holy. They know what to say to sound mm-hmm. uh, spiritually supportive, even though they may not have any particular basis for it at the time. And so I had to deal with a lot of those things, to be frank. Um, and, um, you know, it was just it was just a rough period of time with dealing with the church because we had a lot of that type of stuff going on. Um, I also at that, t- that time um, had my leaders um, that were telling me at the time that basically I had gone through this situation that the reason why I was blind was because of the fact that I was disobedient to God. I had had a point in time where oh, um, I had, yeah, yeah. Um, so to sum that up real quick, um, I was told initially on in my training that I wasn't supposed to come back to Missouri because Missouri would have brought me back into some familiar things and distracted me from the call of my life. And so I was told I wasn't supposed to go back, but I, all of my kids, with the exception of my son, Dante, were back in Missouri and I was missing them. And so at one point in time, I decided against the the, the orders from my leader, against those um, you know, against those instructions, I needed to go back to spend some time with my children. I have a special needs son, um, and I had a young son at that time as well. Plus, I had a daughter. And so I went back to Missouri to spend time with my kids. And I came back, and then shortly after then, I can't recall exactly what the time period mm-hmm. was, um, but it was shortly after then that I began to lose my vision. But I don't think it was like even within a few months. I think it might have been perhaps even a year uh, before it actually uh, before I started actually going blind. But that was the reason they said was that that I had gone blind because I had been disobedient and I went back and I wasn't supposed to. And um, at that time, I had my but on, 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 on Pastor Joe, one moment. But I mean, I want to determine that you should not go back to your own state. Go back to New Missouri. Um, go back to New Missouri if you want to go and spend time with your family. You're being disobedient. That that was the thing that they said, and it was devastating to me because I couldn't couldn't see couldn't figure how. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how how does God, how does a righteous and a sovereign God punish me from going back to see the seed that He gave? Yeah, you know that this that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't compute, yeah. especially if I didn't go into any situations where you know I was you know doing things that I wasn't supposed to be doing, where things that were contrary to the call that I had answered to, and so. Um, uh, you know, I was saying that I, I held my leaders in high regard. So at first I took it at face value before I recognized that that just simply wasn't the way God works. No. You know, I had to come to that, you know, that, that understanding for myself that, wait a minute, why would God allow me to go blind out of disobedience? And he's a loving and a forgiving God. Um, and, and that just didn't make sense. If you didn't go back, you would be in contravention of God's rules, God's laws. Right. Right. And then the thing I begin to think about this situation is, okay, say I didn't go back and I still ended up going blind. Then what would have been the excuse they would have had then? You know, what would be the reason that they came up with then that I went blind? Evidently, I didn't I wasn't disobedient concerning this one thing. So what were they going to say then was the issue? Mm -hmm. Um, But I thank God for the word because the word explains things better than man can sometimes. So I was grateful for that. And you, 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 you have to listen to it constantly. Amen. Amen. And distill, distill the points that you know are for you at any given point in time. Definitely, definitely. You know, it, that's just why it's so very important when people tell you that you need to have a relationship with God for yourself and you need to read the word for yourself and rightly divide the word of truth. Mm-hmm. Because when you do that, then you can kind of sift through a lot of the things that people say out of religiosity 
to get down to the spiritual truth of God because now you have a relationship with God. I had to get into a place where I didn't regard my leaders uh, so highly um, mm-hmm. that I put them above God in order for me to receive the revelation that that was not the case. That really this was something that God desired to use for his glory. Amen. Um, and, and again, I had to take an introspective look at myself. I, I you know, kind of these trees were grown by me. Amen. As far as the way that I conducted myself and cared for myself. So, and Joseph, so what was the turning point in all of this? What what made you start to 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 realize that there was hope for for Joseph Magon? You know, I think the most significant moment I can remember was a lot of things happened in the shower, coincidentally. Uh, so <laughs> I was sitting in a shower. private place, eh? Yes, it's a private place, but it's a personal place where God yeah, can get oh, in contact yes. with you. And that's exactly what happened for me. Um, I was trying to, um, I had a, a sermon I had to preach. I had to preach for my first Sunday um, at my church. And it was, it was a very nerve-wracking experience because I'm newly blind. Um, I, I don't know how to really get things done. I'm just getting acclimated to certain tools that I can use to even study the word. But how do I put this together? How do I read the scriptures? How do I articulate these things? I don't have my notes anymore. Um, and, and this was the interesting thing. Prior to me going blind, my leader had told me, he's like, hey, I need you to get away from that paper. Remember, I told you all that I, I would turn out four or five page sermons two, three times a week. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, no, you need to, I need you to get off that paper. The Lord said it's time for you to get off that paper. And you need to learn how to flow in the spirit. And I'm, I was rebellious to that thing for a minute. So I'm like, wait a minute. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm writing all this stuff down. This, everything is theologically sound. What's the problem? Well, God had a plan. And so when my leaders started taking me away from the paper and made sure I didn't use the paper, I started going blind after this. So here I am. I'm finding myself studying for this sermon to have to preach on Sunday. And I'm blind and I'm nervous and I'm afraid. And I'm sitting in my shower thinking about what I was listening to at the time concerning the scriptures that I was going over. And God began to unveil the word to me in the shower audibly. Now, you know, he wasn't reverberating the walls, but in my head, he showed me myself standing up preaching before the people. And he began to, to just articulate the, the word that he had given me. And he didn't give it to me fully, of course, because he only gives you things in part. Amen. But then he reveals things more fully later. And so he gave me these valuable portions and pieces of the sermon. And I've never been one to have a, a great deal of memory amen, back in the day, but I remembered these things. And I started to feel hope. Tell us about the preparation a little bit more. How did you prepare? People came in and read to you or you were listening to tapes or what? So I actually came across, I talked with some people who were in the blind and visually impaired community and I found out about the YouVersion Bible. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I had gotten the U version Bible. I downloaded it. Of course, the U version Bible. There's certain, um, you know, certain uh, versions of the Bible that can actually read back to you, oh, um, yes. or you can read the whole, you know, the, the whole, um, the whole chapters and things like that. And so that's where I started. I began to listen to the chapters. Um, and at the time, they had given us a theme or whatever the case may be. I believe for the word, and I can't recall exactly what the theme was verbatim. But based upon that theme, I started looking up scriptures that had something to do with that theme and the, the theme verse that they had given us. And so I would listen to the scriptures and things like that, and um, I started uh, taking notes. I, I found out about. I got myself an iPhone. And those things are really great for, for people who need, you know, technology for the blind. And so I had to start learning how to take notes 
on the iPhone and things like that. And so I would take the notes, write down the scriptures, write down the points and all of those things like that. And I would listen to the scripture. But then, like I said, God began to just talk to me um, about, you know, the word and what he wanted me to say and things like that. So with the scriptures in conjunction with what God was showing me, this is how I began to prepare to deliver this word. And then, of course, at the day that I actually had to deliver the word, I had one of my brothers who was training with me at the time to actually read the scriptures. And then what I had to do is based upon what he read, I had to just continue to just uh, exegete what, the, uh, what we call exegeting the scriptures, yeah. which is, mm-hmm. you know, explaining what they mean and how they relate and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turned out to be a really great message. And I just give God glory for that. But that was my turning point because now I was able to see, hey, you know what? I it's not all over just because I've lost my sight. There's still ways that I can minister God's word and there's still ways that God can use me. The the impact of the word that God allowed me to preach on that day was so great that my leader at the time had told me flat out in the midst of surface and in front of everybody. He was like, hey, you know what? Based upon the way that you preached that word, if it wasn't for our bylaws and our rules, I would make you an elder right now. And I was only an MIT at the time. The bylaws bylaws prevented somebody who is blind from taking (laughs) a senior position. No, 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 no. It wasn't that at all. What it was was the the bylaws stated that basically there's a process or a step to to come up in the ministry. And so as an MIT, the the bylaws wouldn't allow him to make me an elder right then. Amen. So... Um, yeah, but the, the the outcry of of the the the, the way that the word went through was mm-hmm. so great that I couldn't help but recognize that God is still able to use God. Able to use God. Oh, oh, when you say MIT, for listen, what is the MIT? MIT just stands for Minister in Training. Um, as you okay. start your training in ministry, that's what everybody starts off as. They start off as MITs, and then based upon um, what God says concerning those individuals, as far as the, their calling or their ministry gifts, then the leaders begin to just kind of unveil what those are, whether they ordain you as a minister. So, what are some of the requirements of you as an MIT that is that is that a, that a senior bishop or a pastor would know? Actually, hey, this MI, this this person who's in training as an MIT, they're actually really ready for ministry. So it was really just the ability to to um, put the words together to be cognizant of what God is saying and to articulate whatever God is saying in such a way that it actually ministers um, without a lot of those rookie mistakes that we become into as first-time MITs, you know, uh, misquoting scriptures or um, using them out of context, things of that nature, uh, the nervousness that comes that has you sweating and bumbling over your words. What, you know, denomination, you can, what denomination is this? This is a non-denominational church that I'm a part of, um, that I was a part of at the time, and I still am to this day. Um, so uh, we didn't you know, really worry about denomination, even though so one they, of my pastors They, they was refer coach. to you at that level when you're on MIT as minister. Minister so in training. Minister, minister, yeah, so you'd be Minister McGowan. Right. Well, they really, at that particular point, just strictly called us MITs. They didn't want to acknowledge the okay. fact that we were full-fledged ministers, so we wouldn't cause any kind of confusion or anything else like that. So this is MIT, such and such, and so on. So and that's how it happened until we were actually ordained. Okay. So, Joseph, you want to talk to us now about that rehabilitation period? You touched on it earlier, but um, expand on it a little bit more. Amen. So my rehabilitation process, um, 
truly was um it, it was it was a a, a double-edged kind of deal um, i had a spiritual aspect um in regards to my faith you know continuing to train as a minister and recognizing that you know my life as a minister truly wasn't over that god can still use me and then trying to really um do my best with, with limited knowledge and understanding at the time to really live according to the word but then there was also uh, a medical piece um, because I, I needed, I've had a history of depression since I was uh, a young guy. And so um, part of my recovery, part of my rehabilitation was getting on the right types of medications to help me um, to, to deal with those moments where it seemed as though blindness was so very overwhelming that I just couldn't hardly, uh, you know, deal with myself. Um, and let me say this as well, the, the support that I had at the time, um, was really a benefit to me um, as far as my family um, and, and things of that nature. So I was dealing with the medication. I was going to see a doctor and uh, getting medication for, um, you know, depression and anxiety and things of that nature and taking my medication regularly. Um, I was continuing to uh, go to church. When I tell you I went to church, this was one of those churches where every time the doors were open, you were in service, you were in church. So I was so busy at the time, um, you know, that it was difficult to really get into a really good fit of depression without me being back in the church again, having to serve or having to listen to a message. And, uh, you know, God has a way to minister to you in times of trouble to help you to just hold on and continue to fight the good fight of faith. And I recognized a lot of that was going on at the time. And then had the family piece. Uh, my, my son at the time, my son Dante, who was around me, is not biologically mine, but I've been his dad since, you know, really con since conception, more or less. And I'd had a, a, a circumstance with him where he was, he had just talked to his biological father, um, and things like that. And he, his mother had let me know. And he came to me. And, and this moment was just so beautiful to me. He came to me. I remember I was sitting at the table and I was eating and I had one of those little triplates that they give people with, you know, um, developmental disabilities to kind of separate the food in little compartments and things mm -hmm. like that. And I was sitting there with that. And I had a mentally, uh, mentally challenged uncle who used to eat out of that plate. And so that really hit hard for me that now I'm in this place that I'm blind and I'm having to eat out of the same kind of plate that my mentally challenged uncle had to eat. And it kind of put me in a pit of despair until my son came to me and he said to me, I just want you to know that even though you're not my biological dad, you're all the dad I need. And this boy was about six or seven. And he was letting me know that in spite of the fact he talked to his biological father, that I was still his father in his eyes, that I was still enough. And how can you really allow yourself to be depressed and, 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 and hurt and fearful and things like that in a place of such pure and simple love? Yes. Oh, yes. my God. You, and you, so you, him being around. that you had to live for him. For him and my other children. You know, yes, that, that yes. was that was a big thing. Even though I wasn't around them, I still had a responsibility to them that I had to climb out of that pit and get myself back into a place where I was at a therapeutic level so I could still be there for them to be the type of man that they deserve, the type of father they deserve. And so those with all of those things in mind, I had to come out of that place um, and, and really begin to, to live again and know that there is a better life from for me even in the midst of his blindness. And so it's a process, but we, we worked it out. But my, my question is to you, uh, Pastor Joseph. So what was the relationship with you and your children at that moment with you in that spirit of darkness in your life? 
So with my children, the, the relationship with my children at that particular point in time, my, my daughter, my oldest child was already grown and she was already going through some of her own things. We were actually um, at that particular point in time estranged from one another. Um, and so I really wasn't in her life at that particular point in time. Um, at that time, my, my uh, oldest son, um, he's only a year from, from my daughter and he's special needs. And so, um, I was, you know, kind of going through a back and forth thing with, um, his mother concerning, you know, just how to deal with his behaviors at that time. And the fact that, you know, there was separation between us. I was in North Carolina. He was back in Missouri and he wanted to spend time with me and was still kind of dealing with the fact that my dad had passed. So I had to be really supportive to him at that particular point in time. And then my youngest son, Brandon, his mother just wasn't even allowing me to be in his life at the time uh, due to her own selfish reasons. So I was just still trying to figure out how to deal with that whole situation. So the only child I really had with me steady was my son Dante at that particular point in time. So you were you was you were really in a terrible place. I mean, losing your mom and your dad back to back and stuff like that. Plus dealing with a separation. Your son is all the way across um, a couple of states away. I mean dealing with your blindness, it was like it was a really pretty dark spot in your life at that time. Listen, brother, when I tell you, 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 you're absolutely right. Consider the fact that in 2011, in January 2011, I lost my father, who was my best friend in the world. He was the only person I really thought understood me and, and really recognized who I was at the time. And then almost a year to the date apart, my mother passes away. And um, I have to get up. And, and I went up and got up to, to, to use the bathroom and came into her room about 4 o'clock in the morning to check and see how she was doing because she was in a catatonic state, only to find out that she had passed. and didn't have to tell my sisters that she had already gone ahead and left us. Amen. And then I turn around, I move to North Carolina, and then in 2015, I lose my vision. Yeah, it was it was hard, hard in quick succession. Absolutely, absolutely. We, we talking about the dark night of my life was in that particular period in those few years, um, and, and it was a difficult climb out. It really was. It was a difficult climb. How did you manage to reconcile the relationships? So many pieces that broken pieces that had to come back together. I know you prayed about it, but how did you go about reconciling the relationship? <clears throat> you know, it was interesting because um, at the time, uh, the, the piece that I didn't have is that I was in a marriage that was unfruitful um, at the time. And so we were, we were married. Um, but we were separated for about seven, seven and a half years. And so I also had to get this divorce together. And what happened was, um, you know, God began to show me me uh, in a very real and a different way. The things that I had done in the past that wasn't pleasing to him, the ways that I treated the, the marriage, um, the way that I failed my kids, uh, the ways that I should have done things differently. And um, he began to put pieces together in ways that I recognize, hey, you know, I've done some things that have not been very pleasing and, and I was remorseful for it. And so part of the putting back together, putting those pieces back together was literally going to my ex-wife the day that uh, I was to go in to finalize the divorce and calling her up and saying, hey, listen, um, I recognize that in some ways I felt short in the marriage. I recognize that I did things contrary to how I really wanted to do and how I really want to be. And I'm apologetic about it. I'm, I'm so, so, so very sorry. And then I asked, I say, if you want me to, I'll come home 
and we'll start this thing over again and we'll try to put this back together. And she was like, no, you know, it's, it's been too much damage. But I at least gave her an opportunity to hear a heartfelt yes. apology for me about mm -hmm. the way that, you know, things had went. But then I went a step further because I went and contacted my children. Mm -hmm. I called each and every one of them, including my two stepkids from that particular marriage. And I got in contact with them and told them, hey, listen, I'm sorry for the ways that I failed you all. I didn't provide a very good example. And, and I'm sorry, but I love you all so much. That wasn't how I wanted to do things. And that was part of the reconciliation process to kind of put things back together, especially with my kids. When I took the time to recognize that I had fallen short and take uh, ownership and responsibility for things that I had done wrong in my past and begin to put those pieces back together. And so I, that was I, beneficial. Are you still friends, I mean, on a, on a broad sense with your ex-wife or you've cut off relationships since the divorce? I wouldn't necessarily call us friends necessarily, but we do have a, um, a, a decent co-parenting relationship where, where I can call her or she can call me and we can discuss things that are going on with our son and, you know, you know, get things together and stuff like that. Um, amicable relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so all of my children have, have different mothers. I told you I lived a little cavalier life back in the day yes. um, and everything else like that. So I do have decent relationships with all of my children's mothers with the exception of one. And that's a whole other kettle of fish entirely. Um, but um, that, that was a, me going through this process was a, a big, big, big factor. And getting back relationship with my children in, in such a way that um, they can look at me in, in a right type of light and then we can start building bridges again. You know, earlier in the discussion, you talked about um, your love for cooking and how you, during the, the depressed phase, you couldn't cook and all of that. Have you been able to return to the kitchen? Absolutely, y'all. Listen, you listening to Brian Bartimaeus, hey man, I'm, I got Bartimaeus's kitchen now. I love to cook. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. And I'm, I'm doing things even now that I didn't do before, you know, and so I've, I've been able to return back to my love of cooking. And I'm grateful for that because now I got a wife to cook for too. And so definitely me, it's been a blessing. Take me into your kitchen. Do you have any specialized gadgets in your kitchen? How do you, how do you function? When you go in there on your own, some uh, do you have any specialized gadgets? You know, I started trying to use some of those things like the pot holders that come up to the elbow and all of those things like that, the fluent level indicators and so on and so forth. Um, but I, I had to realize really that cooking is really rote memory. Mm. And so, you know, what I had to do was just adjust to the fact that no, I can't see, but the movements, the, the, the smells, the sounds are still ex essentially the same. Mm -hmm. And so I was put in a situation where I had to cook for myself and my son Dante when I was in Fayetteville. So I had to just kind of get myself acclimated to the kitchen again and just do things like I used to do and then just use um, my senses a little bit better and the help that I had afforded to me. Like my son, I actually started teaching him how to cook by helping me to look at the food that I was cooking. I remember I was cooking chicken one time. And I would cut the chicken open and I would hold it open for him and tell him what to look for to help me know whether the chicken was done or not and things like that. And that was a learning experience for both myself and for him because now he's learning how to cook. And now I'm realizing that it's still the same old motions, the same old things. I just have to keep uh, 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 my same sense of time and temperature and all of those things like that. 
And so, you know, we had to use bump dots for certain things and stuff like that to mark like microwave places or like buttons and stuff like that, so on and so forth, or notches on the knob where, you know, I know, okay, this is 350 here, this right here is 400, and this is actually the side of the knob that you turn to turn the heat to that, to that particular temperature. And so with those types of things, um, it, it, made it, it made it pretty easy to get acclimated back into the kitchen. Um, I got a hold of the, the rehabilitation services for the blind, and so they kind of helped me get my, my kitchen appropriated so I could start learning how to cook uh, from there using those oh, types of things. Gave, they gave you help in that respect as well. Yes, as far as like the bump dots and things like that, and how yeah. to set it up to where we can yeah. use the essential buttons and so on and so forth. So that was a great benefit. Mm. What about cane travel? Do you do much cane travel? I'm sorry? Navigation. Oh, travel. Yes. Um, you know, I started, I didn't start traveling too much early on, but eventually I did. I actually got on an airplane for the first time as a blind individual. No, no, correction. No, correction. No, I didn't. I had my son the first time I had it with me. But I eventually got into traveling blind and things like that and, and recognized it is not as difficult as it seems. Yeah, Since yeah, I've gone blind, I've taken trains, way. planes, um, and, and things of that nature. Um, and, you know, it's it's been pretty easy. And so I travel, um, you know, anywhere I need to go. I actually, the day I had uh, married my wife, I had to, well, not the day, but uh, three days prior, I flew from Missouri to New York to come marry my wife. And then the day after we got married, we flew back together to come back home and things like that. And so now we're in Long Island. So we travel. So, so now, now you have a new wife, relatively new. new yes, wife. yes. All right. Um, talk, talk to us about that dating experience as a blind man, because that, that dating experience must have been different from the dating experience you had when you had your sight and, you know, you were dating other women. What was that dating experience like? You know, this is where everybody's going to probably look at me a little bit crazy here. Um, so I met my wife um, on an app called Clubhouse. Um, she was living in New York. I was living uh, here in Missouri and things like that. And we uh, frequented some of the same spaces. I actually went into a specific room um, at that where they were having this competition and um i came in to see what was going on and, and see if i wanted to actually engage in the competition and through interacting with the people in that room somebody had actually introduced me to my wife um and so we started talking um via um um instagram and things like that we actually called each other i got a number and we talked as friends for a little while, um, but you would call this probably a whirlwind what, romance because uh, we met sometime in June of, uh, I want to say 2021, mm. June of 2021. Um, she was in another relationship that was failing. I was talking with the young lady at the time trying to establish a relationship, but she was having some circumstances going on in her uh, personal relationships they prevented us from actually being in a relationship and eventually that even fell apart and so at a time where she was single again my wife was single again and that relationship had fallen apart we had recognized quickly that we really cared for each other we talked almost constantly on the phone um and when we got off the phone we felt like something was missing and so um in um november uh november 17th actually i, I still remember the date Amen. My wife decided to take a chance on me and allow us to be in a relationship. 
And so the dating experience literally was just us taking little moments in time where we got on the phone together and where we spent personal time just talking and getting to know each other, discussing life, what we really wanted out of life, uh, whether we wanted marriage, whether we wanted kids, all of those things that you would talk about in a typical dating situation. But it was over the phone. So we never really actually saw each other until I came to New York to marry her. Uh, we got That's married January 22nd. Yes, yes. Mm. We got married Jan- January 22nd of 2022, and um, we're just continuing to enjoy a, a beautiful life in marriage together, and we even have a new son as well, so it's been a blessing. Yes, that, uh, congratulations. Thank you, but, thank you. But, you know, th- this just goes to show that there are different approaches and different ways, because normally I would have thought that, you know, you would have had a lot of face-to-face meetings and face-to-face dating experiences, but that wasn't the case. Absolutely not. Um, you know, we just we spent a lot of time I'm on the phone. I'm so. going to be naughty. You could have gotten into trouble if if she was from San Francisco and she changed her voice on you. <laughs> it could have yeah, been, yeah, it yeah. could have been a meal. <laughs> But you know what? I honestly say, if you've ever heard my wife's voice, you would understand that she is all woman. Glory be to God. You, I can't find a man anywhere in the world that voice. voice. No, not at all. It is anointed, blessed, and sweet. You just bless all woman. Yes, Lord. Joseph, I'm just being I'm just being troublesome. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't mind it at all. Because you know, there are those rips, you know, you can't get catfished out in these streets and you know think that you're talking about talking to Bella and you're really talking to Bert, you know, and it, yes, you don't want to do all of that. You, you have to face the realities of life, you know, that these things are possible. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I thank God he graced me with all women, amen. And not and he know, was with you. Else. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can say that. And that was one of the blessings of the whole thing because, you know, what people would probably criticize us for not, you know, spending any personal time together and all of those things like that. The one thing that we did do that was different than any other relationship for either one of us mm-hmm. is we prayed both together and separately about um, us being in relationship and what God wanted for us just as much as what we wanted in one another. And it all connected. And it all connected. And so, I'm assured and can't nobody convince me any other way that this is the wife that God meant for me. And I'm just extremely blessed for who she is because she's a loving and a caring woman and she's just a blessing. And that makes a difference, a world of difference, eh? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I've had some dating situations where the woman seems real nice and then she turned out to be Cruella DeVille and it's just not cute. And everything else like that. So just to have have the woman that God desires for me is so much better than having a woman I thought I wanted until I really got to know the real her. And so uh, you got to know that great, greatness comes out of the ashes of tragedy. Amen. God oh, tests yes. us to provide us a completion so we can prove positive through his relationship with us and in our relationship with them. Amen. If you're not going through anything, then greatness can't even come forth because you don't have anything to test your metal. Amen. And that's the key to it. He can pull us out of the ashes. Absolutely. He alone can pull us out of the ashes. 
So <laughs> ready and willing to do so if we can just put ourselves in that place to trust him in spite yeah. of our emotions and our feelings. And that's why the enemy will come test you at a period of time. Your yeah. time is December. My time is January. And if he can poke that place and keep us in a place of devastation because we remember what all happened in that that particular period of time, they will never get the victory that comes with trusting God in spite of our emotions and stepping forward and saying, devil, not this time, not this December, not this January, because I refuse to lay in this pit of despair when there's so much more life to live in God's grace. Exactly, exactly. And we, we will all say it in different ways, but it means the same thing. Pull yourself up and place your hand in his unchanging hand. It's as basic as that. So, so, Pastor Joe, tell us now about your moving from Missouri to Long Island. What, what, what brought this about? Was it, was it the lady or other things caused you to move? Uh, you know, it really was an amalgamation of different things. Um, in St. Louis, we were in a neighborhood that I was told originally had been changing and progressing and turned out um, it was the wild, wild west. <laughs> you know, I, I've got this new wife and I've got this new baby on the way and I got people shooting in my neighborhood at 9 a.m. in the morning, um, things of that nature. So it was just a very um, a, a very difficult place in St. Louis to, to, um, to live in. Uh, you know, especially with the new family and things, you want to keep them safe. So I had that to consider. Um, also, my mother-in-law had some health uh, issues going on that, that caused me to really kind of consider, you know, do I really want my wife away from, you know, her family with her mother and her father even getting up in age and things like that? Or uh, maybe is this a time to transition and change? And so between those couple of things and then the opportunity, the door opening uh, through my wife's um, sister, Tracy, us to come and and start a new life here it just only seemed like the right thing to do um at the time to go ahead and make this transition my son um is he'll be five months officially tomorrow Mm -hmm. and his mother his grandmother and he have an awesome relationship via uh facetime and so i wanted my son to be able to get to know his only grandparents that are still living and so between you know my wife wanting to be around her mother and the neighborhood that we were living in the fact that i wanted my son to get to know his grandparents and i wanted to get to know my in-laws better as well because you know like i said my parents are gone Mm -hmm. um and i never had a a good in-law relationship with um uh, part of my my in-laws for my first marriage and so it just seemed like the time and the opportunity to go ahead and make this transition and so we decided to go ahead and do it and i and, and i really truly believe that god blessed the move um for us to happen so we're here and we're enjoying it um how is it definitely more quiet. With, how is it working out with your in-laws you know a, a blind man coming into their life and um, taking their daughter away and all this sort of thing how how are they really? you know, my, my wife has been blind since birth. Um, she was actually born blind and deaf. She ended up having um, a surgery which restored a small bit of her vision, not a lot of it, but a small bit of her vision. And then her hearing just came back by God's grace. Um, and so, you know, um, what, the, what the really the relationship situation was, they're very overprotective because here I am coming. And yes, I'm blind. Yeah. But that's their late baby. They blind baby that they've had all their lives and stuff yeah. like that. And so my mother in law is very true. protective of her daughter. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely natural and it's understandable. 
Um, so, you know, uh, we're, we're working it out, you know, at the pace of God's grace, we're working it out. But yeah, that was, that was some, some, some rockiness initially, especially considering the fact that the timeline that my wife and I, you know, met each other and then got together and then eventually got married, you know? So yeah, it's been interesting. Yeah. One of the things, Pastor Joe, maybe you can tell our listeners, all right, let's, let's look, for example, work and stuff like that for the persons who are blind and visually impaired in your state um your your home state of um <clears throat> st louis missouri what is like out there in terms of persons who are visually impaired etc um so missouri missouri is first of all missouri is one of the only states left in the united states that still observes the blind pension and so um financially um it can be to a varying degrees, a little bit more supportive because of the fact that we do have that uh, blind pension. We either have the blind pension or supplemental aid for the blind. If you can't um, get, you know, um, SSI or anything like that, for some reason, you have those avenues to pursue for for income. Um, there's places out there that hire. They do have like a lighthouse for the blind and things like that. Um, um, Amazon hires um, people with uh, visual impairments or people who are blind uh, for certain works and things like that. And I believe there's some other places around um that uh that that do offer opportunities for people who are blind and visually impaired to become employed um rehabilitation uh, rehabilitation services for the blind there um helps out as well um with with job placement so on and so forth and even educational pursuits if you want to um if you want to pursue education and go back to school so there's a lot of opportunities um you know they're they're, they're better than some places a little worse than others depending on your you know your experiences and things like that um yeah so and that's quite interesting because missouri is not one of the place you know you will hear a lot of people talk about you you more people talk about florida new york california and stuff like that so that is quite interesting to know you know you got uh, i mean such benefits and stuff like that within the state of missouri go on willie what do you do now in long island i know you you preach but what else do you do so I've had the unique experience, um, even before I moved to uh, Long Island, to start a, uh, a career at being a um, self-published author. Um, I actually now have a book that is published on Amazon. Um, it's a ministry book entitled The Worth of a Woman, a guide to help men and women alike understand and appreciate the worth of a godly woman by Joseph McGowan. Amen. And so that's available on Amazon for anybody who wants to pick it up. But um, right now I'm really cultivating that that avenue of you know being a self-published author and uh, writing books and things of that nature. Um, and so that's where I'm, where I'm really stepping forward as far as a career is concerned or work or, or any of those things like that. I just recently got acclimated to use the computer again. Um, and so, um, I'm, I'm still kind of learning and putting the pieces together. So once I get that fully down, then perhaps some other opportunities will open up. But in the meantime, um, I'm writing, um, I'm actually working on a couple of more books right now um and also a children's book series um called the papa sky series and some other things so that's really what i'm doing right now as far as uh any kind of work or anything like that and just doing full-fledged ministry without giving away too much of the book take us into the book and tell us a little bit about what is contained in the book Amen. The Word Amen. Woman is an awesome book um, that really helps to 
uh, look at relationships from a biblical perspective, from a godly perspective, and how we interact with one another um, in such a way that men can have some additional tools um, to use to try to really ascertain who is the right woman for you instead of going through a bunch of women trying to find the right one, and then you end up damaging more uh, trying to find that one. Um, it's also geared, of course, towards women so they can help understand and, and appreciate their worth, their value from a godly perspective so they don't fall for certain traps and tricks um, that men come up with, you know, trying to um, give them some kind of false sense of value. But they really begin to understand who they are according to the lenses of God and how to exude those qualities to make a man step up and really appreciate her for who she is according to God and not what she looks like according to her body. Um, it covers a lot of different aspects as far as, um, you know, what God said concerning women, what God said concerning uh, relationships, uh, the relationship between man and woman, um, how a man can cover his wife, his woman properly, um, and, and, and appreciate her based upon her worth and her value, all sorts of different types of things. There's even got a section there about how to continue to stoke the fire once you're married so that, that your marriage doesn't die out and how that plays into the worth and the value of the woman that you have in your life. So it's an awesome book. It's an awesome book. How long did it take you to write that book? Must have taken I, a, a, quite a, a couple of years. You know, it was one of those things that kind of came fairly, fairly easily in the sense that, um, so to, to give you a little bit of background, I told you that earlier that I had apologized to my wife yeah. about how I had treated her and a lot of things that God showed me. Well, all of those things caused me to go to the word. God began to show me how, um, you know, how women are to be valued and looked at from the book of Genesis, for example, um, and other, um, you know, examples like Proverbs 31. And what they ended up doing is it ended up turning into a class that I had been teaching for a couple of years um, called Covenant 101. And it was teaching about covenant relationships based on a, on a biblical perspective. And so one day um, I was I was talking about some different things um, and a cousin of mine had come into the room and she had had been listening in, and she's like, hey, you need to write all of that in a book. Keep in mind, this is a bunch of stuff that had been accumulated that God had been showing me over some years. And I told her the first thing that it came to my mind that made sense. Oh, no, I'm not writing a book. <laughs> oh, no, you can't get me to do it. I'm not writing a book. And what I love about God is whenever you tell him you're not going to do something and he desires for you to do that thing, um, you ain't got nothing to say about it. <laughs> so I began to, uh, so as soon as I really got off the phone with her, then God began to give me chapters, titles, and different things like that. And so what happened was, as he was giving them to me, because of the fact I wasn't able to use a computer yet, I didn't know about JAWS or any of those things like that as far as how to use it. Mm -hmm. And so I would literally narrate the chapters by voice. I would just speak out whatever it is that God gave me based upon what I had already been doing in Covenant 101 and what God was giving me at the time and things like that. And through that, I began to formulate the chapters. God opened up an opportunity for me to get a computer and to learn how to use a computer. And from there, I had begun to transcribe those chapters that I, I had copied down on voice notes and things like that and actually put it down into a more uh, book-worthy format uh, because I was still kind of acclimated to using a computer from back in school days and stuff like that. I just had to learn how to use it blind. And so it took a few months for me to put it together and to um, go ahead and get it edited. I think it took about five months total from the time that I began to um, to transcribe um, to the time where actually the book was published. 
and and things like that and and we got it done and it's out there i, I think we released it in april um of this year if i'm not mistaken and uh would you say yeah. would you say that would you say that um many of the lessons in that book are born out of experiences which you had and um you don't want people to fall into those pitfalls in the future is it something of that nature absolutely yes i i described the book certain things that i had gone through um in my previous marriage ways that i failed and falling short um some of the aspects of different kind of relationship issues that i noticed that occurred not only with me and my ex-wife but also me and other relationships before and even after my ex-wife and i separated so on and so forth and then i began to talk about the changes that god made in me and the things that i began to implement in my new relationship and in my new marriage that was so much different than I did before and I illustrated the benefits of those things so they can kind of see and compare and contrast those things um before we move on um um apostle Joe I'm looking at the book here on Amazon right is it by Ivana Tompkins that's the book the word of a woman no 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 you it should be it should be um the word of a woman it should say a guide to help men and women alike understand and appreciate the word of a godly woman they'll say by pastor joe uh, uh joseph pastor truth mcgowan all right i'm gonna definitely look that up all right yeah so so you you are saying that um uh it's a way of it's your it's your testimony really in writing to a, to a certain degrees, but it was also, mm -hmm. um, I, I really feel like it was a God-breathed book to just kind of help illustrate some of the pitfalls and the challenges to give people the opportunity to, to think and consider um, all the different aspects that the book describes to help them to make better decisions as far as their relationships are concerned and really how to see themselves and value themselves based upon a godly perspective as opposed to a worldly perspective because the world will tell you all kinds of different things about your worth and your value based on your, your height, your weight, how many uh, how many hairs you got on the top of your head, what you've accomplished <laughs> in life and all of those things like that, which have them. nothing to do with God. Yes, exactly. And so this gives them a, an insight based upon scripture on how to look at themselves and really truly understand what is the responsibility, what is the rights uh, as a believer uh, in Christ. Amen. Both men and women and how we can interact with each other to glorify God in our relationships. And that's the benefit. Do you, do you read a lot these days or how do you manage? Do you read? Do you read, or you do you listen to books? Because listening to books, I consider to be reading as well. Absolutely, I am constantly on audible. Matter of fact, if somebody wants to bless me in the ministry, y'all can send me audible credits. I, yes. I read almost constantly nowadays, which is different from my life prior because I didn't read a lot of books as a young man. When I could see, I didn't read a lot of books as an early uh, as an early on kid. I looked at comic books because I wanted to learn how to draw the comic book characters. I was really into art, so I really didn't even read the comic books. I was just looking at it to draw and and, and to learn how to draw the characters. When I got to older uh, to older ages and stuff like that, I was too busy either running the streets or dealing with marriage are or you, trying to do music. Are you know? ordained minister you yes know, i am absolutely an ordained minister so you have your own church or you work within the church still so i do have my own church my own church it's an online ministry called relentless love church um relentless. we do our services on relentless, relentless. Love. 
Yes, Relentless Love Church. Amen. It, it changed from, uh, it used to be the vineyard, then it transitioned to uh, the vineyard through Vine Ministries. And then uh, here recently, God just really called me to, to make a shift um, and really focus on some different things. And so that's why we, we came up with, with Relentless Love Church. Um, aside from that, I was part of the ministerial staff at my um, at my church in St. Louis, uh, Daystar Church in St. Louis. I was part of their pastoral staff until my wife and I moved um, here to Long Island. Mm -hmm. What? Who is your favorite author? My favorite author is James Patterson. I'm a James Patterson fan to the core. Um, I love the Alex Cross series. I love the uh, Women's Murder Club series and some of the other things that he does. So I'm really a big fan of um, of James Patterson books. That's my favorite author. You are... Go ahead, King Rocco. No, I said that's awesome. And um, if you can touch on quickly, I think I see sometime on social media... Um, so I think something on Facebook I saw recently, you're actually doing like a, a fragrant business or something like that. Uh, that's something that I started. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, getting back into now that we're here and settled down in New York. We did have a business called essence of grace, essential fragrances. What we made, um, we made fragrances, men's and women fragrances, uh, salt, sugar, and coffee scrubs and things of that nature using essential oils. Mm -hmm. um and natural materials and things like that um we we started doing the business we started working the business and um just with a lot of things that we were going through in the in the location that we were living in and things like that um it kind of got slowed down and then um you know we, we we still have some of our materials and we're thinking about picking it back up once we fully get settled and acclimated here um, in New York, that's going to just be another piece that we're going to actually add back into, into our lives once we get fully settled. And so will you say such business is lucrative? For example, let's say someone maybe in Nigeria or someone in South Africa is listening to you at the moment and, you know, they are not working and they're figuring out, what can I do with my life? Will you encourage one to get into such kind of business? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, concerning the fragrance business, if you have uh, a, a unique ability to smell things and put things together to where complex complex things can come together into a simple way uh, where you can pull different area uh, different fragrances and things like that together to make something nice. Absolutely. It's not that difficult. YouTube uh, and, and Google teach you a lot <laughs> whenever you're trying to, mm. to get into something new and different, whatever you want to yeah. use your, your gifts and your talents and everything. And so only thing it really takes is determination to go out there and learn how to do it and then begin to implement it and being blind or, or you know, uh, being deaf or whatever the case may be, whatever your particular disability is may not necessarily be a disqualifier. You just have to learn how to do things a little bit different. Mm -hmm. and use the tools that you have so my encouragement for anybody if you want to be an entrepreneur if you want to start your own business if you have a gift talent or ability that you can do even in the midst of your disability turn that into a business and get out there and get the information you need because you certainly can do it and people will buy it people will feed into that business if it's a quality business make it your own and do it if you were if you were exiled on an island and you could only take one musical album which album would you take um it would be the um oh goodness 
the newest album by Zacardi Cortez. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it's got songs like Lord Do It For Me. Um, it's got a song called Anyway on the album. Uh, another song called I Know You Will. Um, it's just a really inspirational album, and I love that one. And, and that would be the one that I would take with. Okay, okay. I promise, Willie, I'm not trying to be extra holy. That's just the album that really ministers to me right now. I was a hip-hop kid back in the day, an R&B dude. So, you know, if it wasn't a per se um, like a, um, a gospel or inspirational thing, mm -hmm. um, then it would probably be the point of it all album by... Um, um, what's my boy's name? Anthony Hamilton. I'm a huge Anthony Hamilton fan, so yeah, it would probably be that album if it was something secular. Yes, yes, yes. I, I just, I, I like to ask that question because people, <laughs> people have so many albums in their libraries, and most people can't come down to selecting one. <laughs> you know what? Music. I love music. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of music. Um, I've, I've, um, I grew up listening to you know r&b and rap of course and then um i expanded my palette um into listening into country music and things like that and i found an appreciation for country as well do you play an instrument um, do you play an instrument no no i started learning how to play uh piano when i was in college but then when i had to leave college i stopped learning i want to though i plan on trying to pick up a guitar sometime and learn how to use that mm. uh, yeah i used to sing and rap that's what i used to do back in the day so <laughs> If you, um, we couldn't end this this discussion without your leaving um, some words with our, our listeners. Um, take the next two or three minutes and, uh, you know, motivate our listeners. What would you say to them, whether they are disabled or not? Um, words of motivation and encouragement and all this sort of thing. Amen. Whether you're blind, whether you're deaf, whether you're sighted, whether you're whole or have some type of impairment, the quintessential truth of life is this, that we're designed to depend on God. God has done so much to orchestrate every opportunity for you to have an honest and a sincere and intimate relationship with him because he loves you immensely. And a lot of times we back away from God because we feel like we're missing out on something in this world. But I tell you for true, we're not missing out on anything when it compares to the unmeasurable joy of getting to know a God who's loved you since before you were ever formed in the womb. God wants you to be successful in this life because he says he has a plan to prosper you and not to harm you, a plan to give you a future and a hope. And just because you're disabled doesn't mean that forfeits the plan of God concerning your life. He can use your disability as a, a platform to bless others to see that just because they may go through some things does not mean that their life is over, does not mean that God is not continually blessing them even in the midst of the turmoil or in the midst of the challenges or the impairments. Amen. So my encouragement to you as I close is simply this. Learn how to trust and depend on God for everything. And don't make any excuses why you can't get to know your God for yourself. He loves you. He wants you to be successful because it, your success in life is his priority because it gives him glory. Trust God and let him work it out in you. Amen. Mm, yeah.
very profound words and, um, you know, really good words to leave with our listeners. If people want to get in touch with you, how can we? How can yes, that's right, Willie. Thank you very much. It's just about as that. Amen. So if anybody wants to get a hold of me, amen, um, I have my own Facebook, my own personal Facebook page, Joseph Arnell McGowan, amen. I also have a Relentless Love Church page right there on Facebook um, that you can uh, get in contact with me. You can leave me messages and things like that. Um, also, um, I'm available on Twitter. Um, I'm available on Instagram as, as Apostle Joseph McGowan, amen, um, or Relentless Love Church. Uh, our ministry is on Clubhouse. So if you are in Clubhouse, just look for Relentless ah, Love Church. Yes, and I'm, we're Clubhouse. Every... I'm going to follow you. Great, great. So we're there. We have services every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And, and we're there. Amen. To do ministry anytime. Amen. And so you can reach out to me there. I'm on Messenger, which is wherever you find social media. I'm somewhere. Yeah, I'm right somewhere under so, Apostle, uh, Apostle Joseph, so seeing you doing social, um, sorry, virtually right now, which is, which is, a, which is a great thing to be honest with you in terms of like persons attending. I mean, is it like you got a large follower persons normally be there on a Sunday whenever you're, because I've chimed in a couple of times and you know, I must confess, um, I've thoroughly enjoy um the the sunday service um the, the last time when, 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 while you were preaching Amen. So we have people, Clubhouse is an interesting thing because one day you can have 90 people in there, another day you can have six. You know what I'm saying? But nonetheless, we're there to serve God's people. We're hitting somewhere there. We listen, we don't stop because he don't stop. Amen. And so we're always willing and we're already always grateful to have anybody to come in to enjoy services again we're there monday tuesday thursday friday and saturday so please feel free anytime to drop in monday and come see tuesday us. monday tuesday thursday, thursday friday, friday and saturday, saturday. What, time? what time what time 11 a.m eastern standard time 11 a.m but but clubhouse will repeat don't would won't they Yes, we also have the replays as well. So if you yeah, don't you get a chance replays. to make it there, you can always look at the replays. Yeah. Absolutely. We leave those there intentionally because we want people to still be able to come back and enjoy the word. So yeah. by all means, check out the replays. Yes. Well, Pastor Joe, it was nice having you on Tell It Like It Is. And what a wonderful discussion. And um, I hope this will not be the last. Feel free anytime to drop in and to share with us. And we want to say thanks once again. Yes, yes. Sounds great. Thank you so much. I appreciated it so much. It's been an awesome conversation and I enjoyed yes. just talking about how God has really uh, made an impact in my life. Amen. We say this thing in, in True Vine Ministries um, each and every day we're in here. And so not only for you two brothers, but to each and every one of you uh, listening in from Relentless Love Church, we love you with the relentless love of Christ. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. God bless each and every one of you. Thank you so much. If you have any questions or comments regarding this program, please address them to norwill2 at gmail.com. That is N-O-R-W-I-L-L number 2 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Have a happy 
and a productive week. That's it for today. Join me next time when we will present another in the series Vision Scope. Music was provided by Rennie Williams Jr.